I don't know about you, but this probably isn't the Easter that you had planned. This is a lot different than most Easter's. Easter is normally a time filled with hope, with expectation. And this year, our Easter seems to be filled with anxiety. And the anxiety almost feels palpable, like we can we can feel it in our hands, in our fingers. We can we can taste it. We can we can touch it. It seems to be be everywhere because the world's changing. How do you feel when your whole world comes crashing down? You you feel anxiety. That's what this feels like this this Easter. Sure, we're still doing the same types of activities as best we can. We're getting together and gathering online. The church is still being the church. And we're still uh, looking for eggs with our kids. We're buying them chocolate. We're maybe even dressing up in some new clothes. We're taking some photos. And we're, we're having some uh, online chat with our family, even though we can't gather together. And maybe we're still still having a meal. But it feels different. And that feeling this Easter is bringing is anxiety. And quite honestly, that feeling actually gives us a great insight into the reason we can have hope at all. And it's because of the first Easter. The reason that you and I can have hope even in an anxious world today anxious this Easter is because of the first Easter. You see, the followers of Jesus, when he died, felt anxiety too. They thought he was dead and he wasn't coming back. Instead of gathering and waiting for what was going to happen in three days with his resurrection, they scattered to the four winds. They left they hid, they ran from his crucifixion because they thought they were next. And so they hid. Jesus even taught them that he was going to die, that the Messiah would have to suffer and die, and in three days he would be raised from the dead. And the disciples challenged him on that. That can't happen to you, Lord. And then it happened. He died. And they were filled with anxiety and fear. That kind of feeling that you and I have today, this Easter, is the exact same feeling that the followers of Jesus had at that first Easter. So, how can you have hope today? How can you have hope this Easter that everything can not only turn out okay, but can turn out better than you could possibly have imagined. Well, the truth is found in that first Easter, in a truth that we often miss when it comes to the Christian story of Easter. Let me share it with you. You'll find it in Luke chapter 24. In verse 13, we read, Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
as they talked and discussed things, these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, in addition, some of our women amazed us, they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. They didn't believe it. In other stories in the Bible about Easter, one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, didn't believe. When he was first told, he, he ran to the tomb, as, as we read. He was one of those people that ran to the tomb and just didn't find his body. And Jesus tried to explain to them from the scriptures that this was a fact that they could put their faith in, but they still found it hard to believe. Look what he did. He said to them in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, that if these followers had have known their, what is now our Old Testament, they would have seen that all of the facts just seem to line up that say, this is true, Jesus is the Messiah. But they knew what they had witnessed. They had witnessed Jesus die. And you and I have witnessed death. We've been to funerals. We know that if someone is put into a casket and put into the ground, that if someone were to come to us in three days and say, that person's now up, I've seen them, they're out of the casket, they're out of the grave, we would doubt too. And that's what's happening here. It's hard to get your head to follow the facts when your world is full of pain and full of doubt and full of anxiety. And this is the most amazing thing that Jesus then does to show them the reality of the resurrection. We read in verse 28 that as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. Day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread 
gave thanks and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true The Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And the two, then the two, told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's an amazing reality that Jesus revealed himself in person to the disciples. He didn't just disappear after his resurrection. His body just wasn't gone, but he went and looked for and found the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He went and met with the women at the tomb. He talked to them. He showed up right here in this room where all of them were meeting and sharing stories about how Jesus may be alive. And he showed up and said, peace be with you. And that's the kind of peace that the message of Easter offers to us. You see, Jesus isn't just passively sitting on the sidelines waiting for us to figure things out. He is actively searching for us, seeking to find us, meeting with us, putting a burning, a longing in our hearts so that we investigate, that we we search for ourselves. Could this actually be true? And as we start to do do that, he meets us in those moments. Why? Because it's at the very first Easter that God demonstrated most clearly that he is here, that he loves us, that he loves you, and that he has a plan to save you. What do I mean by that? Well, If you were to talk to most people, most people would say that good people go to heaven. And if you were to prompt them a little uh, deeper, they would say that they're one of those good people, that they've set a standard that will allow them to go to heaven. If you were to talk to them and probe a little more deeply, they might say, well, here's people who aren't going to go to heaven, and here's people who are going to go to heaven. The problem is, as you talk to more and more people, you're going to get a different standard of what that good, of what good people are that actually get to go to heaven. And what that demonstrates is that our understanding of goodness is subjective. We need an objective standard. We need a a perfect standard. And the Bible is a perfect standard because it asks, well, it asks for a standard of perfection. It says that in order for you to go to heaven, you need to be perfect. And that creates a problem because we are not perfect. We haven't kept that standard. And what Jesus showed us in his death and resurrection is that God wasn't going to sit idly by in isolation waiting for us to languish in our own imperfection, in our own sin. And so he sent his own son to do something about that lack 
of perfection. What he does is in his death and resurrection, Jesus comes and he dies taking our sin, our imperfection on his life and exchanges it with his perfection, his his righteousness. He takes our sin, we gain his righteousness. And so in that great exchange, when we put our faith in the death and resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ, we gain his perfection, his righteousness. Our sins are forgiven, they are dealt with. Jesus would say on the cross, it is finished, meaning that the payment that you and I ought to be making for our sin has been paid by him. It is the great substitute that you and I could never pay because we were not perfect. But his perfect life, as he died on the cross, allowed him to take our sin on his shoulders, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, his perfection. That's what the Bible teaches about what it means to put our faith in Jesus, that his death paid for our sins, our imperfection before a holy God. Now, the problem is that if all he does is die, then that does us no good. We need, you're going to claim that, uh, if Jesus is going to claim that you can have uh, life through him and your sins forgiven through him, then you better be able to back that up and welcome to the resurrection. And he is continuing to prove that today. Look at the evidence. Jesus died and was buried in a tomb. No one disputes that fact. The Jewish people didn't dispute it. His followers didn't dispute it. The Romans didn't dispute it. The religious rulers, all of them, all gave testimony through all of the historical records that Jesus died and was buried in a tomb. And secondly, they knew that the body had disappeared. No one was able to produce a corpse in a few days after his disciples started saying that, hey, Jesus is alive now. No one was able to produce that. They knew the body had gone missing and they didn't know what happened. And what the New Testament tells us, what the Gospels tell us, is that Jesus himself started appearing to people, to the women at the tomb, to Peter, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. As a matter of fact, we would read later in a a letter to one of the churches later on that he would appear to over 500 people before his ascension into heaven. Hundreds of people saw him at different times, at different places, under different circumstances, all demonstrating that you and I can have confidence that Jesus really is alive and that the peace that he wanted to offer them in the moment of their anxiety is the peace that you and I can have, not just in this season, this Easter, but for all of time and for all of eternity. His resurrection is proof that when you give your life to him, Your sins are forgiven, that you are given Christ's perfection, his righteousness from a God who loves you enough to send his son to die for you so that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. If you'd like to have that peace to know for certain and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have never become a follower of him, then in a few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer 
where you can pray to receive Christ. This is your time to know the peace that you can have, that your sins are forgiven, and that eternal life can be yours. Jesus Christ is looking for you. And you know that. The question is, what are you looking for to provide you with the life that you want? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful and we celebrate that you loved us so much that you died on the cross for our sins, that we recognize that we were not good enough. We did not meet the standard in order to make it into heaven. And yet, you did not sit idly by. You did not sit isolated, separated from us. You pursued us, and you continue to pursue us. And we see that most clearly in Jesus as he was raised from the dead. Lord, for those that are listening today and thinking, I want that kind of peace in my life, not just for this moment, but for all eternity, would you help them to surrender their lives to you, to pray this prayer? Jesus, I know that I am not perfect. I do not measure up. I have sinned. And I do not deserve eternal life. But I believe Jesus died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead and that you offer me eternal life by putting my faith in him and following him. I surrender my life to Jesus. Would you help me to follow him? In his name, amen.